You are listening to Meet the Thriller Author, the podcast where I interview writers of mysteries, thrillers, and suspense books. I am your host, Alan Peterson, and this is episode number 79. In this episode of the podcast, we'll be meeting Mike Gomes, who is an Amazon number one best-selling author who loves writing fast-paced, action-packed novels. Mike has several best-selling uh, thriller series out there, including The Falau Files. We'll be talking to Mike about uh, writing thrillers and learning his process and a whole bunch more, so stay tuned for that. And just a quick note, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer listening to this podcast, I highly recommend you check out the Dan Brown Masterclass on writing thrillers. Uh, you can check that out at thrillingreads.com forward slash brown that is an affiliate link and so if you do sign up for the class I will receive a commission from Masterclass so it's a great way to support this podcast so thank you for doing that Uh, here's my interview with Mike Gopes Hey everybody, this is uh, Alan Peterson with Meet the Thriller Author, and on Skype I have uh, Mike uh, Gomes. Welcome to the podcast, Mike. Thank you very much, Alan. I appreciate it. A little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, uh, I'm 48 years old. I live here in Massachusetts. I have four children, and uh, I kind of have always loved writing and got into writing. And way back when, I was a uh, journalism major back in college, and at that time, uh, as newspapers were going by the sideboards uh, and the internet was kicking in. Everybody was telling us we could not make a living uh, writing for newspapers anymore. Um, So I wound up going on and uh, getting a degree in social work, a master's degree, and I've been a clinical social worker for uh, over 20 years, uh, which has actually aided me a lot in writing thrillers. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine. (laughs) Yeah. And so were you always, uh, even when you were been working at Doing your the social work, you're always uh, writing or thinking about writing. Was that always something that was in the back of your head all the time? Uh, it was. It was always the dream. It was always there of something that I wanted. But it was so much of it was based on you know the gatekeepers of traditional publishing was there, and it it seemed like a, a faraway goal for a guy that that grew up with learning disabilities like I did and things like that. It just seemed like a fantasy, and as after getting married and, and having children, I found what I was doing was storytelling to them all the time. Love, I've always enjoyed that, but particularly I was doing it with my kids, and I would make up characters and, and different stories for them, and then I'd put them on audio for driving in the car, things like that. Just you know, probably four or five years ago, you know, my wife said, "Geez, you know, all those stories you did for the kids, you should make a children's book for them." And my mind was still on how there were vanity presses and you'd have to print so, so many copies for that. And that's when I learned about print on demand. And that changed a lot. So I did the little children's book for them just so they could kind of put it away and maybe read it to the grandkids someday. My, I have my four children. I have a generation gap even between them. There's a, a 19 and a 17-year-old and then there's a 10 and a 7. So I decided I would make it just... For my own pleasure, I put together a uh, trilogy of a children's story, kind of a middle school age type of thing. And my kids enjoyed it, and actually their friends really enjoyed it. And then some of my friends got it off of Amazon, and their kids liked it. And I thought, you know, I would really love to you know, see what more I can do in this. And uh, that's when I shifted over to the adult books, which were kind of more my style. And started gathering as much information as it could from podcasts and everything else. And I realized, wow, people can actually really do this. And being an independent op- author or 
having your own small publishing house of just yourself and maybe one or two other people is an actual viable thing nowadays. And that changed the game for me completely it became something that was real were you a fan of the uh, of the thrillers before you even began to uh, write them or, or thinking about right a- absolutely uh thrillers and horror have always been big favorites um stephen king of course uh, uh just in love with him from when i was a younger kid i could my dad i can remember talking about uh you know his lunch hour instead of you know sitting with the other people at work uh and talking to them, he'd actually go out to his car just so he could read Stephen King uh, and, and read the different things that he had. And I fell in love. Um, I believe the, the first one was really Firestarter was something that really grabbed me because it had the, the psychological thriller piece and it was, you know, a little bit supernatural. And then when Stephen King did that series of about three books that were about awful things that can happen to authors with misery and (laughs) (laughs) some of those other ones, um, that was another one that just made me like, I loved that concept of trying to keep people a little bit on the edge of their seat and write things that weren't, uh, you know, just so neatly put together. I really liked that style. And then as I, I got older, um, I, I really enjoyed, like recently, I've read a lot of the Mark Dawson stuff, which I like a lot. I've always liked Lee Child um, and, and um, the the Bourne books, as well as the, the movies when they came out. They were great because they were just different types of heroes. And that's what I've always liked, the, uh, the, the hero that's not so simple. <laughs> And so, so for listeners who ha- who haven't uh, read any of your books, uh, can you describe uh, your books to us? Sure. Um, I think one of the great descriptions I ever got was um, from a, a person that sent me an email. And uh, he, he said to me, you have a twisted sense of justice. <laughs> he <laughs> I like said, that. And he then uh, went on to say, like, he said, what you write, I consider grit lit. And then he explained that it was gritty literature. It was this stuff that was, the characters felt much more real to him. And I've got this response from other people that it's not necessarily an anti-hero. It is people that are just very humanly flawed. The concept behind the Falau files is he is, a, Michael Falau is the main character. And he has led a rough life most of his life. And he has some kind of background that isn't totally divulged, uh, military in some way, and the love of his life winds up dying in a car accident with him driving, and he is just completely haunted by this. He it, it destroys his life in every way, uh, and then an old friend comes into his life who is connected, a very secretive group of these rogue judges who are still practicing in in regular life, but people don't know who they are. And they kind of retry cases that they think the verdict was wrong and that either people due to their great wealth or uh, connections or whatever it might be got away with just horrific crimes. And they need people that are able to get out there and bring these people in for a second trial and do it all covertly and so this old friend winds up getting to michael falau and he the the only thing that keeps him from having trouble with alcohol and nightmares and flashbacks and all these things is to immerse himself in this work where he's he's constantly in the struggle of um 
what I like to say is, you know, how bad can you be and still be good? And that's what it's like for him. He does these things that are obviously not good things. He knows they're not good things, but he's got to convince himself they're for a greater good. They're taking away this, removing this person that is horrible in society, but he has to do all bad things that he might not even agree with in order to get rid of this person. Um, and that, that group that does this with these judges is called the system. And that's the spinoff series. It's that, that series, the system series is more about how it started the original people in it. And that's got like a layer of kind of historical fiction in it as well, where the stories are backdropped over real life things that happened in the past. Peace, love and death is all about, um, basically back it's it's in the summer of love it takes place in san francisco and i there's a i'm trying to remember the name of the the park that i used in the film but there's a small park in san francisco where a lot of the the young people of the time came well the, the kids were all doing drugs at that time this is all about the people that were running the drug trade at the time and how they the the in battle over that and the introduction of heroin into that system. Um, and so these men that are the original members of the system, how they went in there to see what was going on with this drug trade and try to eliminate it because it was worth millions and millions of dollars. But the rest of the world and the news and everybody was focused on the, the whole peace and love part of things and the summer of love when there was actually a whole underworld that was going on for fighting for control. Yeah, that's awesome. I actually, um, I live in San Francisco, so when I saw the, the book, I'm like, oh, I gotta, I started to read it, and yeah, I'm, I'm walking distance from the Buena Vista Park, so I was like, oh, this is yes. cool. I, lo I love yeah. when I read something when I'm, you know, where I, a book that where I live at, it's kind of, it's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, it was a fun one to research, too, because, it's, you know, I was able to you know, with the technology that we have, like pull open Google Maps. Yeah. You actually go right on the streets, you know, and see what the park looked like and then go back and like read some of the things about the park. And uh, yeah, there was old stories, you know, George Harrison was there playing guitar with people and this and that. And they talked about, but everybody was, you know, using at the time. And that's what kind of got into my head was like, wow, someone had to be supplying it and they probably made a lot of money. And then it was like, oh, I bet there was competition, though. So it, it, it just kind of all falls around that, um, that people looking for that kind of control. And then just kind of fun characters that I get to put in there, too. <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that is cool because, uh, I mean, I've only been living here 10 years, but when you talk to like uh, older neighbors who who were here during the Summer of Love, they mentioned that, what you said, you know, that that's, that wasn't like all, you know, flowers in your hair and all this lovey-dovey stuff. There was like, it was a lot of drugs and it was, you know, people passing out and overdosing and throwing up. And so it's like, oh, you, you don't hear that when, uh, when they talk about the Summer of Love that much. <laughs> Yeah, there was a, actually one of the, the early things that sparked it for me was um, uh, the story originated from, I saw an interview, Brian Wilson did it, and he said, uh, from the Beach Boys, and he said, you know, he went up to the area and he saw it, and he said, instead of love, he saw addiction. Mm -hmm. And he said he had been around that when he was younger, and he had had his own battles with things, and he said there was just like no way around that, like yes, people were having fun and they were having all these other things, but, uh, you know, for him, that's what he saw. And that kind of first planted the first seed about, you know, wanting to know more about that. I like to look at events that kind of get glorified 
and then find out oh, well, what really happened. You know, like, yeah. what was the the real instance? You know, I'm a, currently I'm writing another uh, one of those books. I'm just about done with it for the the system. And it, the backdrop is the days actually right before Martin Luther King is killed, and it's a lot about just you know one of these little towns that is way down that it was essentially just trying to keep itself purely white and they had their own way of keeping everybody out and the guys have to go into that but it was great like putting it in connection with what was going on with martin luther king at the time and where he was going through and having marches and then this fictional town how they reacted to all of this so it was yeah it's fun to do that when you can play with the historical fiction as well so the system books are so they take place in the past and then the fallout files are, are present yeah they're they're supposed to be current day and i, I try not to get too specific on putting a, a date on them in the books because uh i just i'd like them to be more evergreen i don't know sometimes the <laughs> the technology can fade from time to time. I'm sure 10 years from now, when I talk about cell phones, they'll be entirely different. <laughs> uh, when people read back, I might have to go back and adjust things. But they're supposed to be uh, modern uh, books. And a lot of that, it, the main location that Michael Flau lives in, is that he lives in Boston, Massachusetts, which uh, I've been. You know, like, so the actual uh, places he talks about where he lives, his home, uh, I had buddies that lived in the exact building that I'm thinking about where I say he lives in. I've, you know, gone for pizza on the corner late at night after a party in the, the right at the corner of Mass Ave and Columbus where he, he lives in, you know, in a rough, tough neighborhood. And, and that's a lot of fun. Like, that's a lot of fun because it's bringing up my old memories of, of things that I did in those areas. And I can remember car people, not characters, but people who were characters <laughs> that were around the neighborhood. And, you know, I could kind of inject some of their personalities into certain things. And so how many books do you have now uh, published? The, the Flow Files has six with a seventh that's coming out. Uh, and uh, there are two so far for the system. And then actually still, I, I don't really do much with them, but still up are, is the trilogy of the, the middle school books uh, called The Young Adventurous Club. Um, uh, ironically, well, not ironically, but interestingly, uh, Michael Falau starts off in The Young Adventurous Club. Oh, really? <laughs> that, that character is from that story. And I loved the character so much. I actually, he's named after my first son, Michael. And uh, in the those books of course it's interesting you know i always said that the books kind of go like um the way not comparing myself to uh the harry potter books at all but like how they progressed the, the older their readers got the more intense the books got so book one was much more simple than book seven the the middle school age books of the young adventures club Michael is a much more like kind of idealistic character. They're written for kids, so there's a lot of fantasy in there. There's a lot of that stuff. And when it ends, he he has separated himself. And when we pick up with the Falau files, he's in his late 20s and the world is very adult all of a sudden. And there's very there's basically no mention to what went on before in his life when he was younger. Um but it, like some people that have read the whole thing, they'll say, you know, well, if they if you like adult thrillers, those are you know fairly childish because they are for kids, and uh, but they they will say like they like that that it went from being very much a kids read to all of a sudden this character was an adult with adult problems and an adult life and you know all the things that go along with getting older 
and, and having your life in front of you. And that was good because I was a little, I like the character so much. I was a little worried, like that I didn't want kids also following. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I always put like, like, basically don't read this till you're like 18 <laughs> because it's a little more intense than you're probably used to <laughs> i can see that now in your on your amazon page where you you, you put in the bio um action-packed novels for adults so that's kind of yeah. wonder, i was wondering why i'm like oh okay now i understand <laughs> yeah yeah it, it was it, to avoid that specifically like i said i really don't do anything with those books they kind of get picked up by more people through word of mouth um and so, some you know there was some good feedback on that from different teachers around that read it in different school districts across the country. I've been contacted by them and they said, Oh, I've had my students read it. I'll, you know, they like it is, it, it is geared kind of more towards seventh, eighth grade, maybe ninth grade, just into high school because it's the subject matter gets more intense as they go along through the three books. But once you take that leap into the real Falau files, those are very adult. I, I don't put I don't think I've ever written any kind of a, a sexual scene or anything like that, but there is more graphicness just talking about his depression, just talking about his struggles and the, the drinking and, and those things. Yeah, it would be too much for a kid, <laughs> way too much, <laughs> but great fun to write, I tell you. <laughs> yeah. And so now where do you, do you get your, when, when you start, the, you mentioned the, doing your, the social work, do you just do things that you've encountered in your real life make it into your books, into your stories? Uh, absolutely. Uh, it's very interesting that um, a as a writer, I've been doing it for four or five years where I've been publishing books, and it has really only been in the last six months to a year that things all of a sudden just exploded. Um, I, I learned a big lesson, which is no matter how good your book is, if people can't get it in front of them. They never know that you're doing good work and that you write fun books. Um, so I, I learned a lot about basically just kind of getting my book to other people, you know, doing giveaways, getting them to people. And it turned into much, much more. So even currently I'm an, I'm an adjustment counselor at a school at a high school, um, which is a, a collaborative school for kids that are having trouble in regular schools. They, they go to this school. Um, and before previous to this, I spent 10 years working in an emergency room. So during that time, I saw everything that there was possibly to see. Um, and there are just so many people that uh, I just, you know, scrape little pieces off of different people and use them as characters. Um, even the kids I work with now, it's uh, a lot of them are a little more city kids. And so just knowing the basic language and what words mean certain things, it, it helps give a little more authenticity into the books. Um, and, and that's very helpful, you know, to, to do that. Um, in the, as I said, that the time being in an emergency room, you, you just learn so much. Um, I, I learned a lot about medicine. I learned a, a lot about just people that are coming in when they're in pain. I learned lots about substance abuse and those things. So a lot of things that come into play and I worked in a, you know, an inner city hospital. So I really got to gain a lot of knowledge of just what people are dealing with in those kind of situations.
Yeah, it's good. Fascinating way of us of keeping and keeping you current. You know, yeah. Because if I was to write about street kids, I would go back from my own experience. It'd be they sound like they're back in the eighties. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's like the the kids I work with now. They would say something was you know they would just say, oh fire, and I would always say you know what is fire, guys, and they, oh that means great, that means oh. really good, you know, like and they wouldn't say that's fire. They'd just say fire. Like and I was you know. I'm not so bad that I looked for smoke, but it was pretty close, you know. <laughs> wow, yeah, you see, I had no clue that that was even a thing. So, <laughs> yeah, that's that's something out there, and it's great because they, you know, they turn me on to listening to their music and their stuff, and it's like, oh, like I didn't even, you know. Uh, my wife and I joke with each other all the time, and you know, if the Grammys around, we go, "Who are these people? We have no <laughs> idea who they are anymore." And these guys have taught me like a whole bunch about um, even just what it's like. For kids today in their situation and and how different it is and i know there's a book in there at some point that's going to come out with you know learning about their struggles and kind of just today what it's like to be a real inner city kid dealing with a lot of these struggles um day to day for them and eventually you know I, I obviously wouldn't take any of their individual stories or anything like that but kind of a composite of just what they deal with and at some point that'll be a another treasure trove to dig into. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, uh, so what is your writing process then? Do you, um, when, when you sit down to research and plan, do you like outline it or do you just get ideas and then you start writing it, the stories? I get the ideas first. I actually, I, I'm a kind of a stickler for, for my system. And my system is essentially once a year, I will put down a bunch of ideas for different books. The ones that continue to grab me about a few weeks later I'll do just a very quick outline and a basic idea of what the book is going to be. And then a quick outline from there. I kind of go by the seat of my pants and I start writing what I've grown to love, especially while still having my regular job is I dictate and I do it to and from work driving in the car. And, uh, at first I thought that would be just so difficult to do, but actually, while I'm driving, it totally lets my mind let go and go into the story. So opposed to just listening to the radio, I tell myself a story. And then when I get home, I'll you know correct all the messes that dictation did. And yeah, then I and then I'll start digging into like okay, this location and that location, and then fill in the parts that I want to beef up, and you know that I think that the language could be better. Um, and that it's a great process i i attempted earlier on to really outline things but i found i would stray with it because i would you know in my mind another character would come and i just like them and i'd find them kind of dynamic and so i'd want to give them more of a role and i'd drift away from my original thought process some of the books have you know turned into uh, peace love and death is one where you know I found a character that I just really liked that was going to be a connector character to the real bad guys, to the good guys coming in. And he was supposed to have a smaller role, but I just liked him so much. And I found that I just kept adding layers to him. And he wound up having just a major, major role in the overall book. And I love that kind of discovery there are days I get really anxious because I want to, you know, dictate the next chapter because I want to know what's going to happen next. <laughs> and what do you use for for dictation? Is you use like Dragon or? I use Dragon. Um, 
Dragon, I, I have it at home to do that. But actually, they have Dragon Anywhere, um, which you can have right on your phone. And so I just uh, I have the headphones and the, the microphone connected to it. And I just pop it on, plug in, open it up. And it's quite accurate. It does a really nice job. And I can dictate it in. And then I can hit a button and just email it to myself at the end. Wow. Uh, but it will hold the files in there and do that. It Before... You know, over last summer, what I was using it for is if I wanted to just squeeze in some words and, you know, went to the supermarket, I'd say, oh, you know, if you don't need me inside, I'll stay in the car. And I could dictate a chapter and get it out there. If one of my sons was at football practice, I could dictate a chapter then while they're on the field. And it became really convenient. And then I thought, yeah, I've got this 45 minutes or so to and from work each way. And what an easy way to spend the time and not then not lose the time once I'm home with the kids and, and be able to do those things. And then the night comes in after they're in bed and then I start digging in again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Especially with four kids, that's uh, really maximizes your, <laughs> your writing time. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's been wonderful actually uh, having the two older boys, you know, my oldest is in college. My next one's a junior in high school. And then I have a 10 and a seven way down lower and the older boys they've been fantastic because they're old enough that i they'll say to me oh tell us about the new book tell us about this book what are you doing and then they're able to give suggestions because they're also you know as they've gone through school they've learned more about story and they'll say oh it reminds me of this or it reminds me of that oh maybe you could do this and i've have gotten ideas from them and i i love that i love that they want to share in that and do that and then the two youngest they're very cute because they get a very light version of what i'm writing about <laughs> and they care much more about the covers <laughs> and the names of the characters they love the names <laughs> and those are you have very cool covers so i can see why they're uh <laughs> all into the yeah. covers <laughs> i got very lucky i, I found a, a, a woman um in new york who is a graphic designer and she and i just hit it off she loved the concept of the books I loved her work, and so we just we keep in contact. And she's so f just fantastic to work with because I can ask her to tweak a little of this, tweak a little of that, and she's just got so much skill. She can go all kinds of directions. <laughs> One thing now, once once you uh, done with the dictation, do you then down download it into like a, a Word, or do you use something else, you use like Scrivener, or? Uh, I had used Scrivener for a while, um, and I did like it. Uh, the, the problem was when I moved to the dictation, I wound up then just putting them into a Word document because I found with my the editor that I use and other editors that I've used in the past, they all wanted it in Word documents yeah. so they could use the correction program that's built into that. They found that they could you know, use it better than Scrivener. So I've, I felt like I might as well just put it in there to begin with and write with that. Uh, I worried because of the backup system that word has but with google docs and and those kind of things i find if i'm you know just steady about putting a copy of it on google docs or emailing it to myself and doing those things that i don't have to worry too much that i you know i'm going to lose an entire manuscript and so uh, what are you working on now uh right now i actually is i've just finished um of the final preparations for the new Falau book that's coming out, which is called God's Executioner. Ooh, I like the title. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great one. It's of, it, it's kind of a, it kind of links into the modern day uh, very well. The, the main bad guy in this book is a guy named Mickey Landers. 
um, who is supposed to be in his 60s. And he has a history of that he was thought to have been a serial killer. He was not convicted of it. And the main target he had was reporters, people in media. And his rant still to current day is that he believes that all media, regardless, has a point of view that they're trying to push on people and that they no longer give straight news. And he was preaching this back in the mid-70s. And reporters started showing up missing. And he he was the target of it. They never could get anything on him. And then it goes to current day where all of a sudden he puts out a book called God's Executioner. And that was something that they would find at the sites where um, these reporters were killed. Someone would write it on something. And uh, it's basically, it was, you know, a book that he isn't exactly saying he did it, but he is basically showing that anybody could have. And he just gives these details in his book. And for a guy that hates media and he, you know, professes that they're, they're so warped and they're so bad. He is on every talk show and he's on everything and reporters start showing up missing again. Well, they don't show up missing. They're not, they're not there. He winds up there. There are more deaths and more reporters going missing. He's just one of these guys. He's very gamey about when people talk to him about it. He doesn't say he did it, but he doesn't say he didn't do it. And Michael Flau is basically the, the the system has said to him, these judges, we need you to get this guy. We believe we have evidence that he's done it. And so he is sent to LA to uh, get connected with this guy. He, in this story, he has a couple of people that have been in previous books that have helped him work. Uh, a guy, Wyatt Houston, who's from Texas, and another older gentleman who's about 70 years old named Billy, who is the technology whiz, uh, which I just love that juxtaposition because people always say elderly folks don't know anything about technology. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. He's, he's the hacker. He's all that. And he was basically, he had Falau's job when he was younger and he needed to find a way to stay in the game. And cause he just could, couldn't live without being part of it. So he becomes that, which is a, a great thing. Yeah. They, they go after this guy and they, they're basically trying to get evidence. And if they get the evidence, to bring him back for trial with these judges. And so it's kind of a neat concept because where there's so much talk, even right now around, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, Oh, this station is totally right wing and this one's totally left wing and this and that he, he Mickey Landers talks about that when you, you know, you get to see some of his or rather read some of his interviews that he's doing with people. And he, he really could care less whether it's right or left or pro this or pro that. He just hates that it has any slant. Like I said, he's always just kind of teasing, making makes people feel uncomfortable that he's dangerous. And but nothing that people can quite nail him on. And he knows he's being watched, but he's very, very bright in how he gets around everything. Um, so it, it's he was a fun character to write to. And it was almost like in my head, I was thinking of uh, the natural born killers, that movie, all of a stone from years ago, he had a character, Mickey, but it was younger Woody Harrelson when he was much younger. And I'm like, I wonder what would have happened to that guy later in life. And so he, that, that kind of character arised where it was, 
you know, it was just kind of this guy that was on the edge and he did things and he didn't quite care. And, you know, so it wound up uh, evolving into this guy, you know, and, and he became a lot different than the, the, the one from the movie. But it was kind of a sparking of th- that type of guy. Yeah, very timely subject matter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's it, it, you know people have been saying the the press has slanted since you know like the revolution. So <laughs> yeah, um, right now I've sent it to I have uh, it went through my editor and I have a team of readers that proof books for me, uh, and then I'll send it on to my my final group of readers. I've got a group of about a hundred people that like to read them, and then I ask for their suggestions. What can they you know just tell me that they like or don't like? Um, it, you know. Does it add to the story? Is it, you know, what, what do you find interesting about it? And as does it, can you read it as a standalone? Cause I always want to do that, make the books standalone, but also part of the series. Cause lots of people don't start from the beginning. Uh, and so I love, they'll come back with some suggestions at the very, very end. And, um, possibly they, there's, you know, kind of tweaks and small changes to try to get the, the best book we can out there. Wow. A hundred of, uh, you get feedback from a lot of people. <laughs> Yeah, I, it really it goes through the hands of about two hundred people. Wow, you didn't get overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah, it it can get a little overwhelming, but I I love it one because I've all of a sudden I've got this relationship with all these people too, which is wonderful as someone that likes working with people and being around people and getting their feedback has been great because a lot of the time I'll write something and I know what I mean to say, but they'll write back and say you know, what did this mean? Or, you know, simple things. I found a missing period or there, do you want to put a comma here? And it just makes something read a little bit better or explain something a little bit better. And they've, they've just done a great job. It's like, I have no problem. They all get the books free and, you know, but for their time and effort to do those sorts of things. And many of them, yeah, have turned into, you know, virtual friends we don't see each other ever but we do exchange emails and you know uh connect on facebook and all those sorts of things and it's been great it's really been great yeah it's a great system we got uh it's obviously working because you're you're publishing your books uh uh, you have a lot of books out there and they're doing so incredibly well (laughs) thank you (laughs) Uh, so uh before i let you go now uh for listeners that are aspiring writers do you have any advice for them yeah absolutely (laughs) because i was one of you even just six months ago and compared to the big boys i'm i'm still one and and that my biggest problem i had was comparing myself against everybody else and so and, and i've continually done it where uh, I'd get out there and, and get in the different groups and I'd say, geez, if I could only sell as many books as this person or that person. And what I've learned now, kind of getting a little bit to the other side of it, where I'm, you know, now I'm making a decision of whether I want to do this full time, that really it's a game against myself. It, it is me putting out more books, having a consistent schedule for my readers that they they can see things, making sure I write things that are interesting to me and then the the worst part for writers is doing your homework um not just on your book but also on learning how to get your book in front of other people learning how to uh do ads on amazon or other places so that more people can see your books it it definitely i said i've been doing it for four or five years roughly and for three and a half to four of those it was 
literally months of maybe making a hundred dollars. Um, so it was just love of writing that whole time, loving putting out books and, and having that. And then things finally just caught on and it got very big, very quick. That can happen. And it's happened so many times and, and with indie publishing. Now you really are in control of so much of that. Um, and, and, and I find just using every resource is great. I love podcasts like this because I throw on my headphones and I go for my daily walk and I get to listen to other authors. I get to listen to marketing advice and all those kind of things. And it just does so much. Um, but it really is a, a two tier business of the business side and the writing side. Uh, just always make sure you set that time aside to write. Cause that's what we all really love. Yeah, and that's 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 so great to hear too because you know sometimes people uh, oh the the golden age of the indie is over and so to see you know you you have this success you know it's it's very inspiring <laughs> uh, so it's cool cool to hear that they, yeah and and honestly from my perspective and and talking a lot of, with the other you know different I've reached out a lot to a lot of the very successful indie writers and uh, a lot of them think like. No, we're we're still well in front of the fifty percent line. Things are absolutely tougher now than they were before. There's more competition, but I think most people you talk to in the world they have no idea that there's indie publishing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they they think like, oh, I've I've got to get connected to one of the big big traditional publishing houses. That's the only way you get in. And the idea that you could do it yourself in some way is when I say to people, Oh yeah, my books are on Amazon. And they'll say, well, you self publish. How'd you do that? They have no idea that Amazon will let people. I said, it's not just books. They'll let you put other products out there. Like if you've got a great idea, you could actually market and put a product on Amazon. And they're stunned by that. The biggest retailer in the world will let people do that. And, uh, so I, I honestly, I think the golden age is still strongly with us. Because of, and if you're a writer out there, you're the 1% that's actually written something. Most people just think of it. Mm-hmm. And then there's 1% that actually do the writing. And then if you can be that next little sliver of 1% that decides they're going to put it out and do some work behind it, you know, there's, there's competition, but uh, it's not something that's impossible to do by any means. And this is coming from a guy that, you know, not that long ago thought it'll just be a hobby and nothing more. And that, and now you're thinking about whether or not to go full time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, and it, it's like, and that's scary for a guy like me that's been working for, you know, 30 years almost, you know, and doing stuff. And the idea of like, wow, like it, it still stuns me. You know, I pull up the information and the financials and look at all that stuff and, I am continually blown away by the fact that someone just gave me a couple of bucks for my book, you know, and that someone, these people out there reading it, like they're, they're reading the words I wrote, like, and I've, right now I'm like kind of stammering on my words because it's unreal to me that someone actually is out there doing that. And then someone says they're a fan and it's like, I don't have fans. Domes. I don't have fans. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I still I go out and shovel my driveway when it snows out, you know, <laughs> like I'm not the guy that has fans. So yeah, it's, it's, and it's been just a great experience, you know, to it, indie writing 
again, is one of the few things where with email and the internet and what we have, a, a writer can have such direct contact with his readers it, that it's fantastic. It's You get to really know the people and hear their stories and um, hear what they like and don't like. And uh, I have one gentleman who uh, he said he hasn't left his bed in 10 years due to an injury. Wow. And he loves reading about Michael Falau. He, he, he actually, he's, this guy's got a wonderful sense of humor. And he says, I love reading about a guy that's more screwed up than me. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that. I, I said that, you know, I, I should use that in an ad or something <laughs> screwed up than you. So read about him. <laughs> that's, that's, that's amazing to hear that. They hear that from readers. That's so, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, the, the people that, you know, the idea that, you know, I, I've heard from many people that, you know, well, you know, TV's taken over and all those things. There's a lot of people out there still that just love reading a book. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm amazed by the number of people, too, that get print copies. Um, they, they, they love that tactile feel in that book in their hand, um, as opposed to just all Kindle and and those sorts of things. So it, it's great. I think reading is alive and well. And if you can tell a good story, uh, that's what people want. They uh I don't think that I am by any means going to write the next great American novel. Um, I just, I tell stories that people like to hear and that they're fun and they're exciting. And that, that makes me happier than anything that people enjoy it. I love when people say, you know, you know, Gomes, thanks a lot. You kept me up till 2 a.m. last night. <laughs> you know, you can, you know, you, you keep writing these chapters that are like 2,000 words, and I go, oh, I can do another one. I can do another one. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love it. You know, it's what a great compliment that, that someone can give you saying they stayed up to read what you wrote. Yeah, it's thrilling. <laughs> and then, so for listeners, uh, they can find you on uh, uh, MikeGomesWrites.com. Yes, your sir. website all right and i'll and i'll have links on that on the website as well but the mike gomes writes.com uh, mike thank you so much for coming on to the uh, podcast it was a lot of fun uh, talking to you great thank you for having me i really appreciate it thanks for listening to the meet the thriller author podcast be sure to visit thrillerauthors.com to join the conversation access the show notes and discover great thrilling reads if you enjoy the podcast i'd love for you to subscribe uh, rate and give a review uh, to it wherever it is that you're listening to this uh, podcast be it uh, itunes uh, apple Podcasts, google podcast stitcher tune in spotify uh, wherever it is that you're uh, listening to this right now i would appreciate it and uh, please do check out my own thriller novels over at my website at alanpeterson.com until next time <laughs>